if we as entrepreneurs have the ability to make unlimited revenue, you and I can go work harder and charge more, make more, do more, whether we choose to or not. We have the ability to make unlimited revenue as entrepreneurs. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. My great two wealth listeners, welcome back. Today, I have the pleasure to introduce to you Randy Monald. Randy, how are you, buddy? I'm doing absolutely fantastic, man. How about yourself? I'm good. Are you still in Vancouver? Are you moving around? Where are you? I'm just hanging out in, I'm actually on Vancouver Island, so as far west as you can get in Canada. So just a little ferry right away from Vancouver and hanging out here, but got a few trips down to California planned in the next few months. That's awesome, man. That's on the work trip, pleasure trips. Work trips. I'm running a yeah. mastermind down there and a few other things. So it's, I have a lot of friends there and a lot of network there. And so it's kind of like on the West Coast, it's the nice warm spot to go. That is true because when you live in Canada, it's only cold, cold and cold. But where you are is beautiful, man. Coach T, who I know you and I know both, he always shows me his picture. And I'm like, I'm jealous. I've never been to that side of the country. I didn't need to make a trip out there, man. Yeah, it's absolutely stunning here. And we live in like the Hawaii of Canada. We're kind of like the mildest, warmest climate in Canada for the most part. So we don't really get very cold, but we don't get super hot. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Randy, thank you again for taking the time. I know you're a busy person. You have a lot of balls up in the air, but I really appreciate you taking this time to add some value to my audience. So Randy, we'll open this up. And really the question that I always open up with is, I don't do formal introductions on my show because your introduction is going to come out as we unfold it, right? So Randy, what is your migration story? I know what you do, and I don't want to focus too much on it at the early onset. It's going to come through. Help us paint a picture of how did you become the Randy Marland you are today? Yeah, I love that question, man. And I kind of have two migration stories. My first one is that I grew up in a lower income family, but a very loving family. I lost my younger brother when I was about three years old. He was about six months old to sudden infant death. And unfortunately, my dad was working very hard trying to start a business and do you know life and didn't spend much time with his son. And so when he passed away, he just made this commitment that he wanted to not miss any more time with his family. So he basically said, I'm going to give up the dream. I'm going to go to Monday to Friday, nine to five, but I'm going to be there for my kids and I'm going to support the family. And so I grew up with a very loving mom and dad. They were involved in everything in my life. My dad was at every soccer game. My mom was at every soccer game. They were a part of my communities, everything I did. So I'm very lucky for that. One thing my dad encouraged me because of what he went through was, get ticketed early on or get into work very early on. So I was very lucky that I found the trades. That's where my dad was in was the trades. And so I became a ticketed electrician by the time I was 22. I started in like my first years of high school learning how to wire houses. By the time I was 22, I was running multi-million dollar job sites and running crews of people and having a lot of fun. So I took a path that was very driven by my dad, encouraging me to take some risks, go all in and get as wealthy as I could early on before I had kids because he missed that opportunity. That was my first migrate to wealth or migration story was cool. I'm going to go work very hard. At 25, mm -hmm. I bought my first home very incredible, very, I was, you know, ahead of so many of my friends because I worked very hard to get there. My second migration story was I got to that point, hit this, bought my home, bought my dream truck, you know, was living this incredible life at 25 years old. But I was mentored by some guy who really supported me and brought me under his wing. He saw a lot of potential in me and in the electrical world was kind of like my, my big brother, took me under his wing and really just gave me every opportunity possible. Unfortunately, two weeks after I bought my home, he got hit by a telephone pole on a job site oh. and passed away. And so I went from being at the highest of highs of saying, wow, I just hit the epitome of like what every person wants to buy a house by 25. I'll have it paid off by the time I'm 50 and I'm going to be set for retirement mm -hmm. to then losing my best friend and saying, do I want to be 42 years old to get hit with a telephone pole and it's not even worth getting to 50 because I can't even enjoy it. Yeah, And so... At that turning point, I was very lucky to have some support around me and show me a new way of living life, which was playing all out, which was going more and learning about what I was capable of because I had peaked, right? I wasn't going to make any more money in the electrical industry. I was kind of at the echelon of my career. 
And so I just did what every 25 year old that's bored and going through a midlife crisis, I Googled how to make as much money and never work again. <laughs> so I ended up finding real estate investing. And I signed up for some training courses, you know, where you go to the free course mm -hmm. and then they upsell you to the three day and then they upsell yeah. you into the guru course and it's $15,000. Yeah. I took advantage of that. I did the program because I could look at it differently because the space I was in, the light I was in and said, I'm 25, $15,000. If I learn how to flip one house and make $15,000, that's a lifetime that I get to learn yeah. about real estate investing. So I'll have... 50 more years to use this skill for the rest of my life. And with that, I was very lucky to again, excel early on in that journey to be able to go find people with money. They invested in our projects. I do all the work as the construction guy and we would split profits 50-50. That was the start of the second migration for me where I kind of went back down to starting the new world and entrepreneurship at the very bottom again. And now I'm starting to climb my way back up in entrepreneurship. I love that story, man. I think Randy, there's just so many because everyone has multiple migration points in their life, right? Something happened in their life that changed the way they looked at things. And I'm so sorry for your loss for your brother. But I think what your dad did as a response, he usually in these situations, you'll have two responses, right? One is you cave in and you go all in on a direction that you probably don't want to. But in this case, he basically said that I can't miss a single moment right? The life's reality hit him hard. And I'm thankful for your dad. He actually took that direction and poured everything into you. What his, that you don't make the choices that he made, not that they were wrong choices. They were just no. the right choices, what we were told, right? He did great at that. So I love that story. I love that you being at a point where you said it interestingly, midlife crisis, although you're 25 years old, really a quarter life, yeah, a quarter life crisis, but looked like a midlife crisis at that point, I'm sure. I think it's an interesting point, right? Because now you actually saw what having money does to you. Yeah, it can afford you luxuries, it can afford you things, but it won't really make you happy. There was something else you were craving for, which was your freedom, your entrepreneurship ideas, right? Something that you can call your own. And that launched you into a different trajectory, which was built on the foundation of what you were already doing, a trade. Because if you talk to me, I can't even lift a hammer. I <laughs> probably can't even spell a hammer. But in your case, and I call myself a real estate investor, you actually went on the construction route, right? You're yeah. putting the sweat equity is because of the work ethics that were taught to you about. And you were looking at money, interestingly, right? You were not looking at $15,000 as too much. You're looking at a lifetime value of that $15,000 investment which is probably in millions of dollars that you couldn't even comprehend at that time, but it was more than $15,000. So if you put in a $15,000 somewhere and you're making $30,000, is it really an expense at that point or it's actually an investment? And I think that's an interesting point. Now, I say that, but I also want to say that we could rationalize every decision with that lens that everything is an investment in life. So you have to be careful, right? You don't want to over pivot on that. So I love that. Thank you again for sharing that story. But I don't feel your journey is finished yet, right? So tell us more about when you talk about you're just, and I'm using, I'm paraphrasing what you said, it's more on that journey to be an entrepreneur. What does that mean to you? And what's the calling that you're trying to satisfy for yourself? If you know the answer. Yeah, it was really cool. So I switched to becoming an entrepreneur in a whole new light, less restrictions, more visionary. I'm learning a lot about myself as who I am as a human. And the reason why I did so well in electrical is because I did have a little bit of, let's just say ADHD or, or Asperger's mm -hmm. or something where I just understood things very clearly. I had the same thing in real estate where I just saw it very clearly and it was very easy to me. And so to make uh, money and it was actually fairly easy. It was like, I know how to wire homes. You know how to give me money. We just put this on autopilot and repeat right. and we made money. What wasn't satisfying me was making money. My dad, I grew up in a low-income family. And so I had a, I don't want to say a bad relationship to money. It just never inspired me. Having nice yeah. trucks, having fancy things. I'd never had any of that in my life, barely even like a vacation. So when you've never had it before, you fight for wanting it. But then when you start making money, you're like, ugh, what am I going to do with yeah. this? And then I remember distinctly one day I heard a podcast. I was going through this like as entrepreneurs on a daily basis, we go through midlife crises, deciding yeah. what we want to do in life. And I was just in this frustrated moment and I heard a podcast with a guy named Cole Hatter on it. And his mission was called Make Money Matter. 
And I was like, ooh, that's really cool. I like that. And he explained it in a way that's if you want to make a million dollars a year, build your business to do $2 million a year, keep your million, give a million dollars away, and don't feel guilty about the million dollars you just had because you just went and donated a million dollars. And I was like, that's it. That was a huge turning point in my life because now I had the permission to go make the money I wanted to make, but do it while I wanted to do what I wanted to do, which was serve people. I love helping people. I've always been that. My parents always instilled that in me. You know, Even if they could barely afford to put dinner on the table, any of my friends are welcome to come for dinner. Even if they could right. barely afford to put me through soccer, they would do everything possible to make it work for them. And so anyways, I just loved the serving component of my life. And so that was probably one of the biggest turning points in my life where I had this aha moment that I was put on this earth, not to just make money, but to go make impact in this world and to use real estate or entrepreneurship as a vehicle to start inspiring people to give back. And I was so invested and committed that I spent another you know, $30,000 to go be a part of Cole's mm -hmm. mastermind to learn this because I also understood that if I made this investment, I had an opportunity to go teach something that wasn't out there to a lot of yeah. people and we could use it in a way that would bring in more investments to our company, would differentiate ourselves in the marketplace. And so we did that. We went all in on the giving back component. We adapted it into our portfolio. You know, we donate $10 per door per month from our rental portfolio. So our fiveplex donates 50 bucks a month, our triplex donates 30 bucks a month, so on and so on to keep it simple math for everybody. And we started donating $10 for every meetup attendee that showed up to one of our meetups. We're donating over $1,000 a month there. And I had never felt more fulfilled in my life than when I was making those donations. And so that is kind of where I've now found my gift for the world in our movement called Go Big to Give Big, where we're inspiring people to go bigger with their dreams and goals so they can give bigger with their profits. And that is where I would say my next trajectory is going off into is learning how to create mass adaption of this movement that we've created. That's awesome. Let's talk about that a little bit more, right? So it's interesting because... There's usually two kinds of people that exist in the world, I believe, and I, there could be more. One is, it's I want to make money for me, right? And when I have enough, I'll contribute. And the second is, I want to just donate my time. I don't care about money at all because I want to see the impact. Now, you know my story. I've actually flip-flopped in those two worlds. I left everything and moved to an ashram. That, oh, money doesn't mean anything, but you realize the importance of money are not having money, you realize the impact that can have for people around you, then you go into the world where it's all about money, and you're just kind of oscillating between the two, and you're trying to figure yourself out. So you, I consider yourself as very lucky to be in your early 30s and have that kind of wisdom and that kind of life experience and that kind of thinking to actually look at that at a very different level. So kudos to you, Randy. And now let's go bigger into... What's causing that, right? Let's talk about that. Let's actually go deeper into because I know your mission very well. So go big to give big, $10 per door, right? Let's, let's discuss that even beyond that. So first of all, why $10, right? Why not 100? Why not 10? Why not 5? Why not 15? So what triggered that? It was a random number that you thought it's a good number because instead of being 9.99, I'm surprised you didn't pick that. So why was that number was picked what's the significance of the number to you is there a significance that that you attach yeah, to that i'm thinking i should have done 997 isn't that what it is now there you go man the walmart yeah so, you should um, <laughs> no the rationality was for my meetup it was ten dollars to come to my meetup and people didn't think twice about it it was mm -hmm. just oh i'm gonna spend ten dollars as a donation to kids for victoria and i'm gonna get to attend this meetup it was right. so irrational that people didn't even think twice about it we went from 30 people to 100 people and nobody blinked at it. When I looked yeah. at my portfolio, it was like, what's a number that makes impact? You know, I thought like, what's a dollar? But then it gets to that point where you're like, man, you got to add a lot of doors to make it work at a dollar yeah. a door. Yeah. $5 is just the math is not as easy transparently because then you're starting to have to multiply by fives. Whereas 10 is a very easy number and it's very easy to rationalize. If you were to get $2,000 in rent this month, would you be okay taking 1990 instead of 2000? Mm -hmm. Most people are like, 
yeah, if I have my yeah. rental property, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. So that's where the $10 came from was that it was enough that you could stack doors on top of each other and it makes impact. Right. But it wasn't enough that somebody would be like, ugh, I'm not going to do that because now you're taking away my cash flow. Yeah. So then from there, you went to $10 per door, right? And yeah. how did that concept kind of come across? Because I know you've told me that story several times. So I want you to reiterate that. Yeah. A lot of it came from, and this might be not the exact story, but the concept really came from when I looked at charities and I was starting to make these donations. And it was just outside of the pandemic where a lot of charities lost their revenue because they couldn't go do live events anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to find a way that I could create consistent passive revenue to donate to charities. Because if we're able to do that as entrepreneurs, then we can let nonprofits be nonprofits and go out and serve the humanity that they're supposed to. Kids Sport Victoria, who I was donating to, helps kids go through sports. That does not mean, hey, we go make a ton of money and then we help kids go through sports. Their job is to just go find kids that need service and make sure they get sports. My job as an entrepreneur is to go make a ton of money. So if I can support them financially in my business and let them do the job that they're meant to do, then we can continue to make a way bigger impact in yeah. this world. And we as business owners understand the value of consistent revenue is some of the most crucial things on the planet. When you get a paycheck every month, you feel secure. You can take a little bit more risk. You can breathe at night. Charities mm-hmm. don't have that. They have to fundraise and then backpedal and not spend. And if something happens, it's scary for them. Imagine if they were just getting thousands of dollars passively every single month. So when I looked at that, I was like, we do it for real estate investors. We They invest in real estate and they make passive money where they can sit at home and do nothing and still get paid. Why don't we do the same for charities? And that's where that concept came from of adding it into our rental portfolio, that it was just a line item in our performa, no different than vacancy, no different than taxes, no different than anything. It was just giving and it was just $10 per door. And then we just started buying based on the performer that had to meet that criteria. And from there on, it just continued to grow. So I think there's there's multiple nuggets there. I want to go even deeper, right? So let's look at how usually the charities function. Most of the charities are not revenue generating institutions, right? They're basically depending on external sources of income. Some have gotten smarter where they have their own revenue sources as well, but most are not. So if you look at that from a first principle, they need money coming into them so that they can go, what you're saying, their purpose in life is to serve a cause. And if the money doesn't stop, they'll continue serving the cause. The only time they'll stop it or limit themselves is because the money has stopped. So how do they get funded so far? They're basically getting funded through donations. And I know you and I have chatted on that about, about this on even in your podcast is really what happens with when Randy is saying, I'm going to pledge a thousand dollar a month donation. The moment Randy loses a job or the child gets sick or something adverse happens in their life, that thousand dollar, no matter if the pledge happened or not happened, that money is going to stop for a while, right? But charity doesn't think that way. When you are de- pledging it, they're basically assuming that check is going to come every month, every week, whatever the whatever the frequency is, and they have now picked on additional, in your case, kids to support, right? But now all of a sudden, a thousand dollars per month stopped because someone like a Randy, and I'm using you as an example. Yep. Someone like a Randy had a valid life situation happen and that what do they do with the kid now? You can't say, oh, I'm so sorry, you're fired from the institution because we can't support you anymore. That's not a humane thing to do, especially when you're trying to bring a child to a certain extent, right? So that's really, I think, the, the real problem, I believe, and you correct me if I'm misstating, is what you're trying to address is decouple the existence of a nonprofit from the dependency on donations only. That does not mean people won't donate. We're not saying that. We're basically saying they get donation, whatever they get, they control that, they have a channel of partners to get them there. But what can we do to make sure they we can bring consistency to them? So if somebody does withdraw their $1,000, the effect is not going to be that humongous because they have a consistent revenue stream coming in. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you summed it up absolutely perfectly and is exactly why I wanted to start implementing this in the world. You know, we start looking at 
Um, small businesses make up the majority of it. I'm not talking about going into yeah. corporations and having them write million dollar checks to charities. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about everyday ma and pause when you go down to the store and, and you go buy a sandwich from somebody yeah. and they donate 10 cents a sandwich and they sell 100 sandwiches a day. That is it. And so it's taking everyday businesses, making them charity machines and making more profit from it. And there's so many stats out there in Osaka that's like 76% of all consumers want to purchase from a company that's giving back versus one that's not. Apples to apples. So if you and I are both selling the exact same product and it's the same price, I have a given component on mine and you don't on yours, I have a 76% chance that that person would buy from me versus you. That puts me in a better position to sell more and make more impact. So if I can take revenue away from you and bring it over to my side and consistently have the person buy from me now and not from you, eventually you will go out of business because I'm collecting 76% of all of your customers over to me because I'm giving back, which means I can go bigger with more of my products, which means I can give bigger, which means we're making more impact in the world. And businesses that don't have giving components will get left behind. That is the dream of what I want to create is that capitalism goes dead because there's no sense anymore of, I don't know how to frame this, I'm working on it. But if we as entrepreneurs have the ability to make unlimited revenue, you and I can go work harder tomorrow and Mm -hmm. charge more, make more, do more, whether we choose to or not. We have the ability to make unlimited revenue as entrepreneurs. Someone like my fiance is set to $70,000 a year and that will never change for her unless she changes jobs or do something. She can't just go make more money tomorrow in selling more products and services. So if we have that ability in this world, and that's a gift for being in the greatest country in the world that we can go make as much money as we want as entrepreneurs, shouldn't there be a respect to nonprofits to give back, right? If Mm -hmm. we have the ability to go make hundreds and thousands of millions of dollars, do we not have a duty and obligation to go support causes in need for that gift that we have? That's let's ask that. I love that perspective, but let's actually go back. And why does it not exist right now? What are your thesis on that? I think it doesn't exist because we went through an era where capitalism was just normal, where it was just like, if you were a business owner, you were wealthy. That's just what it was. And you got paid for it. And it wasn't as easy to make business as it is now. Now anybody can start an online Amazon e-com store tomorrow with four hours of Googling and be making money on their own. You can make stuff and sell it on Etsy tomorrow and start a business. There's more multi-level marketing out there in the world than there ever has been. So I think it's very easy to be a business owner these days, whereas it was a lot harder before. You actually had to really work hard to make your store profitable and be available. So that's why Mm -hmm. I think capitalism is changing. We're seeing millennials shift in the way they purchase. So we're also seeing that the consumerism side of it say, hey, we actually want our money to do good in this world. And I only want to buy from people that are doing good. So why hasn't it existed yet? It hasn't been brought forward. The baby boomer generation didn't really care much about it, right? Our millennial generation really cares about it. And the generations that are coming up are 10 times more than millennials. So it's a wave that's being brought up to bring more awareness to it. But the three reasons why companies actively today don't is something that I've been kind of playing around with is that one, they don't know where to donate. People don't know Mm -hmm. where to donate. So it's like, we can't even pick a Netflix show in the evening let alone trying to pick a charity that you want to donate to because you don't know how to vet them. You don't know what to look like. So they don't know where to donate. The second one is they think that their donations are not enough. So $10 a door, I'm only buying 10 units. That's only a hundred bucks a month. That's not enough. I'm not going to make an impact. So I'm not even going to start there. The worst concept in the world, if you went to the gym and you want to curl 50 pound weights, you wouldn't just grab the 50 pounder and start curling it. You'd start with 10 pounds and start curling it and work your way up to it. It's the same thing for giving as a muscle. You don't start with a $50,000 donation. You start with a $5 donation and work your way up. 
And then the third thing is the logistics. How do you actually donate? Because people hate the time it takes to put your credit card in or to go transfer money or to calculate, hey, I sold 10 products this month and this is how much it's going to be. And then yeah. I could really use that money to go pay for ad spend and I could really use it over here. So I'll just delay right. this month because it's easier. Those are the three reasons why I found people don't donate today that I'm trying to eliminate. I like that, right? So I can see the last reason being really the most friction point, right? I think I was going to ask a different question, but we'll go there as well. The first question I was going to think about it is why do millennials and the future the generation after that care so much? What has changed? I haven't thought about it in all honesty. Until you yeah. said that, I'm like, something macro level has shifted. Is it because the millennials have a much better life than they had the baby boomers had? don't have to worry about their day-to-day life, right? That could be one reason. The other could be the marketing machine because the media has a much better presence now because of whatever happens in Asia, you can see it here now within a matter of second, right? So maybe the issues that are happening outside of the US or the Canada, we are able to relate that to more because before Ignorance was bliss. You didn't know that was a problem. Yep. And if people knew they knew, most people wouldn't have known because if the mainstream media didn't decide to publicize a message, you won't know it. So what do you think are at the macro level shift that has happened? If you have a perspective on that. Yeah, my perspective is mainstream media has made it more aware that we are in global warming and that the planet has never been in a worse shape it's ever been. That is what I believe is being portrayed out there, that we are exposed, like you said, to more things in certain continents where garbage just flows through the river like it's everyday garbage, like it's disgusting. Mm -hmm. And you see that, you're like, whoa, that's not right. That shouldn't be like that. Why don't we take care of that? So if there's a t-shirt company that is just for profit where they just make their money and don't support it. Or there's a t-shirt company that says, hey, for every shirt we sell, we're going to go help clean this area. Yeah. Now they've seen like that makes more sense to me. Why would I go over to the capitalism side when I can go to the side that solves this problem? Same with clean water, same with feeding kids, same with sex trafficking, same with the global planet, planting trees, things like that. There's more exposure to it. And the media has made it more mainstream because they're very good at creating a narrative. And instead of battling it, I'm just riding it. They're right. They're just doing it in a different way than I want to do it. They're creating fear from it. I'm creating opportunity from it. And I'm really excited about what we can do as entrepreneurs to go solve a lot of those problems that are being brought to light in a positive manner that if we as entrepreneurs all come together, we can solve world hunger. We can solve clean water issues by using our businesses as instead of ATM profit machines, as machines to go solve the world. And because we're doing that, we get paid extra well. So I want to talk to you about something, right? And I want to make sure that I don't take it out of context. Correct me if I'm saying something incorrect. So I think for the last several minutes we've been talking about it, you've used the term capitalism in a negative connotation. At least that's what I'm hearing, right? And that's okay if you're entitled to your opinion. And that's why we have these shows. So we can talk about that, right? But then on the other side, we're also talking about making a lot of money if you give back. Let's define the word capitalism, but that means for you so that people can actually have the right context. Because to me, if you're giving back, if you're growing big to give back, you're kind of part of the capitalistic pool, right? One way to define the capitalism. So let's actually define capitalism so we don't have people take this thing out of context. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I do get aggressive about capitalism. And I'm not a socialist. I don't believe that everyone should support each other in this space. I believe that if I work very hard, I can get paid and make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. What I believe is that we need to change the narrative around capitalism. Right now, capitalism and mainstream media portrayed by the mass of this world is greedy capitalist that does nothing for this world. That's a parasite. Mm -hmm. The parasite is something that sucks something but never gives back. And so That is what capitalism is portrayed as today. I want to change it so that capitalism is known as a humanitarian philanthropist that does good and gets paid for it. So now we use people that are capitalists are now like humanitarians. If you're a humanitarian, you're put on a pedestal because you're doing incredible things for this world. 
I think capitalism belongs in that same category if you're using it for good. If you're using it to just be an ATM for yourself, then I believe it's a negative condensation and should be circled and real greedy capitalist for people that aren't. For people that yeah. are giving back and using it, it should be a humanitarian capitalist that is in gold circles that says, these are the people that are actually changing the world and we don't care how much money they make because they're already doing good. That's how I look yeah. at capitalism. I'm glad you clarified that because I don't want people to walk away thinking that you had a negative opinion about capitalism, but you're supporting capitalism. So I think what we're saying is we're basically capitalist, but just in a different light. Yeah. What we're trying to say is what's the next generation of capitalism looks like to us. Yes. Right? Because you have to be in order to make the change we're trying to make, you have to be a profit generating machine. And you cannot get there without having a sense of capitalism. So you have to get there. But what we're basically saying is there's several dimensions to it. Just add one dimension. Don't change anything else. Just yeah. add one dimension to it. Become a little bit more conscious. Become a little bit more humane. A little bit more impactful in your capitalism. So now you're saying you're now making that money go even farther because you're not just impacting your life. You're now impacting thousands and millions and billions of other lives of your contribution, a small contribution of $10 a door, right? Because yeah. there are folks who have massive doors under management. So for them, their $10 is going to go much further than somebody who just have a 10-unit building. Yeah. And yeah, I can go deep into this. I just really believe that we should be looking at opportunities to give back depending on what that looks like. And that can come, we just saw one of the biggest transfers of wealth in real estate, where I bought my first house for $300,000 seven years ago. That same house is now worth 650. I made $350,000 on that property. Hmm. My parents in their era made $350,000 in 30 years yeah, of life. owning their home. Yeah, yeah. And so, I know inflation's come and everything's more expensive and blah, blah, blah. But if I'm able to make that much money that quickly, should I not also be willing to say, hey, you know what? My parents worked 25 years to make $350,000. If I made $350,000 in seven years, should I not be able to give a little bit of that away? Can I not give, I'm not talking writing a $100,000 check and giving away 30% of my wealth. I'm talking about $1,000, $2,000 of every sale of a home that I make that I saw such inflation. That's really what I'm trying to get at was instead of being greedy and saying, yeah. wow, I just made so much money, take it in. I'm lucky saying, wow, what an opportunity and gift that I was given this much money. How do I use that to support somebody else and still make more money than I ever should have or would have if the real estate market didn't bubble? That's all I'm saying about it. No, I love that, right? So let's go deeper into why do people not give? Let's say, hypothetically, in your situation, you end up making a $350,000 in a house flip. We'll do you flip as an example, not your personal home. And you do get $350,000, $500,000. What's preventing them, somebody, to not contribute $10, $5, $100, $200, $1,000, whatever that is? Is it the mental model? So I think your thesis, and let's just talk about your, the your thesis. Your thesis is that there's not enough encouragement, there's not enough understanding, there's not enough knowledge that people know that this is something they should be doing, right? So I want to challenge that, and I support you, but I want to challenge that just so that listeners can hear a different perspective, yeah. right? So the principle of tithing, it's not new. Yep. It's been, I mean, if you all have read the book of the Babylon, Richest Man in the Babylon, right? Yep. Which is, if that book is true, I don't have any reason to believe it's not or fiction or not, but let's just assume for now that the book is true. We've been talking about principle of tithing since then. Yep. So what is going to change the narrative for people to saying that, and what you're trying to do is nothing new in that perspective, right? You're basically taking that concept and implementing that in businesses. Instead of convincing another socket, another Randy, you're saying, I'm just going to convince one business because a business, the impact that business is going to be having is much more powerful because they run their business to make profit. It's not catching up to the Jones's story for a business, hopefully not. They're trying to be profitable. So when that component is already, when people are already know about that component, 
why haven't they done it? I still can't grasp my arm around it. It can't just be marketing. It can't be they're not aware of it. And the reason why I'm asking this question is, what's the core? How do we touch the core of a person? And before we go there, I'll tell you a story. You know that I was at Business Mastery for Tony Robbins. And uh, we were there and Tony Robbins raised about $1.6 million in 20 minutes for a foundation that helps prevent sex trafficking, right? And people were literally crying out of tears because the stories that were shared. And the reason I was telling that story was, do you have to be emotional when you contribute? Is that the goal that you, we have forgotten our, we've lost touch with our human side? Or there's something more that's preventing? I know you have thought a lot about it. That's why I'm asking this question. These causes are very near and dear to me and I've built my whole business around creating impact. So I'm not saying you're wrong, but I would love to get your perspective on how are we going to change that? Or if we will be able to change that. I would say the same thing about the school system. We know the school systems are restricting us on learning the basic fundamentals of financial education. Yeah, People that are graduating high school don't even know how to do their taxes. They don't even know how to save. They don't know how to use a credit card. Why? Because that's the way the system wants them to work. So I don't know the answer for you on the question of like, why don't people give? My same question is, why do people still put their kids in schools if they know that they're not going to get the education to hang on the world? Yeah, It's just the way that we've been done. So one of our mutual friends, Dinesh, asked me a very good question. He said, Randy, how do you start changing entrepreneurship from the ground up then, mm-hmm. right? You can't just become a teacher and go right. into school and help kids because you're only helping one of this. You have to create a whole new school with a whole new curriculum and get everyone to come to you because that's how you make the shift and change. So we talked a lot about how do we start changing entrepreneurship from high school up. And that becomes a curriculum in high school or grants in high school or things like that where new entrepreneurs coming up only know entrepreneurism that has philanthropy in it. Hey, we're going to write you checks and fund you and bring you into this world if your t-shirt company that you created has a giving component to it. Yeah. If your lemonade stand has a giving component to it. If your newspaper route, you have some sort of giving components to it. And that is how you start making systematic change is you actually have to reinstill it from the ground up. Am I going to be able to do that in my lifetime? I don't know. But I'm going to be able to start the charge with some very incredible people. Tony Robbins is one of the most prolific humans on the planet. And he literally has a saying that says the secret to living is giving. If that's the secret to living, why aren't more people doing it? I don't know, Saka. It blows my mind. You know, the way we're raising our kids these days, everything. Yeah. There's a million factors of it. So I don't know if I want to go that deep into it. But that is something that is challenged my brain is how do we start systematically changing entrepreneurship where a good example would be going into a network marketing company where the network marketing company starts from the first person that every time you buy or enroll someone below you, one thing gets donated and then they go enroll one person and then two things get donated. And now we've systematically changed network marketing that every time you work with us, one good thing happens. And let's just call it you're a food service and you give away packages of shakes. Cool. Every time I enroll somebody underneath me, I give a pack of shakes to a third world country. Well, if I've got 3,000 people starting to enroll underneath me, I'm donating 300,000 pieces of food to people that don't get to eat. That is a really cool concept, but it starts at the top having to actually start making these changes in full organizations. I don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime. I just like to know that my whole thing, so I can say, what legacy am I going to leave in this world? Am I going to leave it a better place than when I came here? And I know that if I just continue on this journey, I will leave this world in a better place than the way I found it because I'll have inspired, which I already have, dozens and dozens and dozens of companies to start giving back, supporting more nonprofits yeah. so we can make more impact in the world. Amen to that, man. And I think it's going to happen in your lifetime. I don't think that's going to be too far-fetched because you're on it. And you have support of, I mean, I know who supports you have. So they've been very vocal about these messages as well. I do have one question about CSR initiatives, right? So let's actually dispel the myth on that as well. Because one could argue that, look, a lot of companies have CSR initiatives and they are giving back, right? But what you're talking fundamentally is 
not starting a CSR initiative because CSR initiative is an afterthought. So help us understand that. How do you compare the model that you're proposing, which is, let's say, $10 a door, right? Because that's a very real estate centric, but maybe a company is not real estate centric. Your model is really is make it as an expense, not as an afterthought. So how is that different than CSR? Yeah, it's such a different world and it's so hard to talk about. When people ask me these kinds of questions, we need people to do the CSRs because it is actually helping the world. We need people to create B Corps or whatever they are to actually go out there and be Corp certified and be initiatively proud about what they're doing as a corporate level. These corporations have way more mass control than I'll ever do. We need them to be offsetting their carbon footprints. And we mm-hmm. need them to be taking the initiatives to hire the right people and do the right thing. CSR just says like, hey, we're just a good human. We're just doing the right thing. Right. We're just doing the right stuff. Compared to what I'm doing is like, hey, we actually are doing the right thing, but just on small business because small business makes up such a big percentage. And it's that, I don't know the exact quote, but it's, you know, many hands can solve a bigger problem, right? And so instead of having these big corporate giants that are causing the problems, create their CSRs to say, hey, we're covering up and solving for our problems that we made. Mm -hmm. We're having just new entrepreneurs come out and say, hey, why don't we just create a new way of being? Why don't we just create a new way of entrepreneurship that this is now the new standard? Instead of creating a mess and then covering it up, we just start from the beginning that we're just a good company and do great things in this world. And I will say, Saga, there's going to be dozens and millions of companies that take advantage of this and say, we're the givingest company on the planet and they actually don't give. There's nothing I can do about it. I've mentally prepared myself that there's nothing I can do except for click report to Instagram about them and nobody will ever be able to do anything about it. It's just life. It's just the way it is. But fundamentally, I'm trying to teach people the new ways of doing it ethically, morally, why we do it. We don't just do it because it brings us more clients. We do it because it's the right thing to do. And we should be attaching organizations to charities because we actually want to help charities in this instance. And it doesn't have to be charity, guys. You can just take the money and go give it away to homeless people and buying people dinner that can't afford it and just bringing more happiness to the world. I've also been asked that question of, you talk so much about charity, I don't want to donate to charities because they're all crooks and criminals. Yeah. That's totally cool. Put it into a separate bank account. And when you see someone that needs surgery and can't afford it, just pay for their surgery. When you see someone walking down the street and they don't have shoes on, just go and buy them a pair of shoes. That is what we're talking about. Creating good humans in the world. Not just like, oh, we're philanthropists. Praise us. It's actually trying to create good humans in the world. that just believe in doing good things. Love it, Randy. Now you got me real fired up. (laughs) This is the real Randy we wanted to see. It took you a while to get there. (laughs) That's the Randy I talked to. (laughs) No, Randy, this is great, man. This is great. And you know, uh, before even we started the conversation, I'm like, Randy, you and I can talk for five hours. It won't be enough. And we've done that extended period of times. But I want to be respectful of your time. So I think, Randy, help us understand like kind of like three key insights that you've seen since you've launched these initiatives Three key insights that you're seeing that needs to happen in the world to make this movement a reality. And I'm calling it a movement. I don't think it's a movement, but I'm calling it a movement just to kind of give a taxonomy to it. Yeah, I would love to just share a few things around why people can actually start giving or the initiatives around it. Mm -hmm. One is learning about where to donate. People get so frustrated about where to donate and they don't know where their money is going, things like this. My new concept is, find two charities, just go vet out two charities, one that makes you happy, one that brings you dopamine or one that makes you excited that for me is Kids Sport Victoria. So watching kids play sport makes me really happy. And when I donate to that, I feel really good about my life. I'm like, yes, I did really good. The second one is find one that makes you absolutely sick to your stomach that you don't like, you can't even sleep at night thinking that it exists in this world. For me, that is child sex trafficking. The fact that it is 2023 and sex trafficking is the highest it's ever been makes me sick to my stomach and makes me want to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week to make so much money that I can actually make a massive impact in there. When we start playing with our emotions, yin and yang, those are the emotions that drive us to actually want to do different things. So happy is one emotion. And then that sick to the stomach, angry emotion is another one. So I'm just encouraging people, don't get crazy. Find one that makes you happy, one that makes you sad. Vet them very simply. Where do they spend their money? 
Every business has overhead. I get it. Nothing's perfect. Just make sure it sits in that 15 you know, percent or less for their overhead so they can pay their teams and then just make sure that their reputation is good and start with a small donation and then scale it up. Very simple. That's how you start giving back and where you start doing it. The second thing is just actually starting to talk about like, it's not enough. It is enough. Start by building the muscle. People need to understand this, that it is not the amount you donate. It's that you donate and it triggers your reticular activating system. When you buy a blue car, and then you buy a Mazda and next thing you know, all you see is Mazdas mm-hmm. or you come on Sokka's podcast and then all you see is migrate to wealth everywhere. That is your reticular activating system. It picks up what you want to see. If you start giving on a regular basis, your reticular activating system picks up more opportunities to give. When you're walking down the street and you see a homeless person, instead of saying, "Ugh, that guy's gross, you go, oh, I wonder if I could go buy a pair of socks for him. It changes your perspective. So by giving anything, starts triggering that system and process for your particular activating system to do it. And then the third thing is just starting with a bank account. This is my favorite one of all things that I'm talking about right now is just a happiness bank account. Create a new account in your bank. Every month, put $50 into that account. And then when you want to, use that money to go do some good in this world. My fiance and I went out for dinner. It cost us $50. I haven't talked about it since. My fiance and I went out and spent $50 on dog toys and dog treats. And we went and gave it to an animal shelter. And the dog came and cuddled us and played with us. And it was so cute. And the people were crying because they were so grateful that we did this. We're like, these dogs never come and hang out with people. You guys are so special. That was three months ago. And my fiance and I still talk about it to this day of how happy it made us. The $50 that we spend can buy us happiness. That is what I want people to start looking at. When you create a happiness account, you move $50 a month into it from anybody can do this. You don't have to be an entrepreneur. You don't have to be making gazillion dollars. I'm talking $50 a month and then using that money to do good. You will start buying your happiness. That is true joy. So instead of going out for dinner, move that money into account, go Buy a blanket for a homeless person, socks, an animal shelter, whatever is going to make you happy. And if you have kids, this is where it can get very fun. Your kids have imaginations that you've never seen before. So take your kids and start saying to them, hey, what do you want to do with our $50 this month to give back? Well, the first few months might be a little bit hard. They might not really understand the concept of what you're doing. And maybe they're kind of weird around giving a donut to a homeless person. But after a few months, they're going to come home. They're going to say, dad, Sally from school, her shoes are completely worn out and there's a hole in them. And I asked her why she doesn't have new shoes. And she said, her mom can't afford a new one. Can we go buy her new shoes? That is like a parenting A plus where you're like, yes, that is it. I've got a happiness account. Let's go buy a pair of shoes for little Sally. You go pick it out and then you go give those shoes away. Tell me that doesn't change humanity and the way that we run this world with a $50 month concept. That is what I'm really talking about, that we can make such huge strides in humanity and such impact in this world by literally just creating a happiness account, $50 a month. Very powerful message, man. Keep doing what you're doing, buddy. And it'll happen in your lifetime. I'm sure. I'm supporting you. I know a lot of people that we know are supporting you. So we're in it to win it. We're not going to let it go with you and I and everyone else that is around us. With that said, Randy, I want to be respectful of your time because we do want to create impact in the world and not just talk about it. So we're coming towards the end of our show here is I'd usually ask two questions, Randy. The first question really is, I know you're fairly young, but if you were to go 10, I usually say 20 years, if you go 10 years back in your life, what would be the two or three key insights that you'd share with that individual to make their path, their migration in life more intentional? One, bet on yourself. That's one of the greatest gifts that I've explored for myself is that I always bet that I'm going to win. I made that $15,000 investment because I knew that I had the skills to make it work and I bet on myself and I have so much self-confidence that I was going to do it. I had 20 people tell me it was a bad investment, but I knew inside that that was a good investment. So betting on yourself, you can't lose investing in yourself, 
And then the second thing is just taking a little bit more risk. I was very, very lucky to have my father talk that into me um, because before you have kids, before you get into the real life of having to get married and buy houses and stuff, you can take so much risk and not lose anything. Start mm -hmm. any company, start a clothing store, start selling shoes, try a new sale opportunity. If you don't like school, cool, take a risk. You can always go back. Like yeah. take more risks and knowing that it's not a failure, it just means you learn something new that didn't fit into your life. And if I throw a third one in, it would be experiment more with physical fitness. I'm right. loving right now doing like 29029 and hiking up 29,000 feet of elevation awesome. in 21 hours straight, running marathons in four days. I'm running the four by four by 48 David Goggins challenge. Wow. So four miles yeah. every four hours or 48 hours. I just signed up for a hundred mile. Like it builds such grit in your character that you can take on anything in this world. And although I did a lot of physical fitness when I was younger, I wish I did some just crazier, more activities, more fitness challenges, because I think it's really shaping who I'm becoming now. Very. That's awesome, man. I mean, I can fit all of these three things into my life uh, if I was younger. And for me, in maybe several decades, not just 10 years. <laughs> those are all valid things when I could see that. And there's never too late, right? Even for our listeners, if you were to be able to make these changes now, there's never too late. No one's saying it's too late, right? So any last question is going to hit you at home for this one is, where do you feel that humanity needs to migrate towards, buddy? Yeah, you got another two hours or no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I truly believe it's exactly what I talked about in that happiness bank account section. Mm -hmm. It's just having more compassion for the world. Instead of seeing these people that are homeless as monsters, looking at them as humans and how you can serve them, you might not solve their problem, but doing good for them. I sat down with a homeless person and I'm not talking the crazy ones that are mentally unable to be in conversation. This is a guy that was able to be in conversation. And all he said was, I just wished more people would talk to me. I feel mm. invisible in this world. And I think so many people feel that at their core, that maybe their parents financially don't have money and they feel a little bit invisible. They can't do the things that they want to do. Maybe you know, just people are going through some tough things. So I just think more compassion for humanity in this world is what we need a lot more of is just understanding humans are just humans and people are wired a certain way because of the traumas they've gone through. And if right. we can just be there and support them and offer a blanket or a pair of socks sometimes is the biggest thing to somebody. And that writing a hundred thousand dollar check might not have that same impact as buying a $10 pair of socks for some homeless person on the street. I think we need to just be more compassionate that anybody can do that. You don't need to be a billionaire to a $10 pair of socks and go give them away once a week. Well said, Randy. Thank you again for sharing. You're pouring your heart out, man. I know this episode was very passionate for you. I could feel it. Hopefully our listeners can too. As always, buddy, keep doing the good work and don't give it up. You don't need me to tell you that. So Randy, thank you, buddy. So if at some point now, I'm sure you have made people cry, made people think, made people question themselves. If they want to get in touch with you and learn more about what you do and kind of extend their support to you, where can they find you? Yeah, my biggest thing right now is probably just Instagram at Randy Molland, M-O-L-L-A-N-D is the last name. So Randy Molland or Go Big to Give Big is everywhere. But the funnest thing that I've got right now is just the Facebook community where I'm pouring my heart and soul into doing lives, doing these trainings. And it's just a group of philanthropic humans that love getting together and talking about impacts we can make. And that's just on Facebook at Go Big to Get Big Community. Or check out my cool podcast, Go Big to Get Big, and they can listen to your episode, talk about this exact same thing of the impact that we're trying to make in the world. I just love talking about this 24-7. So if anyone wants to connect, I'm always open. Awesome, Randy. Dude, again, thank you again for being here. Thank you again for being on our show. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.